0: Good morning. This is Dwight Weast inviting you to listen during the next half hour to two outstanding radio programs, Valiant Lady and Light of the World.
1: Valiant Lady.
0: Valiant Lady, brought to you by Cheerios, a product of General Mills, creators of new foods and new ideas for a better world. nation united as perhaps we have never been united before. In the mind of every one of us, there are the same anxious thoughts. How is the fighting going? And what can I do to help? Compared with the sacrifices that the men of our invasion forces are making now, it doesn't seem very much for us to do, to give money. And yet the outcome of a battle may be decided by the amount and kind of equipment with which our men are supplied. We can help today by buying more war bonds. War bonds to provide money for equipment that will continue to give our men the overwhelming superiority we want them to have on the invasion fronts. We can help this very minute by getting not just the bonds that we can well afford, but also those that we may have to pinch and scrimp to buy. And we can keep on buying war bonds with every penny we can spare, backing up our invasion armies until the victory is won.
1: Value and Plating.
0: their return to America by clipper, Joan Scott and her husband, Dr. Truman Scott, find themselves deep in difficulty, just when Joan had so hoped that their homecoming would be the start of a new, a happy life in which Truman would forget the bitter disappointments which have dogged his past. And to make matters worse, Joan feels responsible for their present trouble, for it all stems from the bracelet which has such sentimental value to her. And which she refused to sell when she had the chance in Algiers. But now, the magic time is spoiled. Even the exquisite setting of Clarissa Clark's New York Tower apartment, loaned to them for the occasion, can't bring back the spell. In desperation, Joan has rushed across the hall to appeal to her employer, T.R. Clark, the multimillionaire publisher, for help. Instead, she has met a friend of his, Major Colin Kirby, whose quiet air of strength and understanding is at once reassuring and disconcerting. As he faces her, he says, I don't want you to think I'm trying to butt in on something that's none of my business. It's just that you look so utterly miserable, and I hoped I might be able to help you. After all, I am a good friend of T.R.'s, besides which I'm a lawyer. Trouble is my business.
2: Well, it's awfully kind of you, but I don't think I ought to impose on you. The, the whole thing is really my own fault. I, I just came over to see Mr. Clark on an impulse.
0: Look here now. It can't possibly help you to keep this thing bottled up. Why don't you just sit down and tell me briefly what the situation is, and I'll give you a very brief opinion. Is that fair enough?
2: It's more than fair. It's very generous.
0: It isn't hard to be generous to a beautiful woman. Come on, tell me all about it.
2: Well, we we just got back on the Clipper. Who is we? Mr. Clark and my husband and
0: I. Oh, oh, your husband. Well, that's only to be expected. Go on, please.
2: While we were in Algiers, my husband bought me a bracelet. He paid $15 for it. Mm-hmm. I felt sentimental about it. Too much so, I guess, in view of the present circumstances.
0: Can a person be too sentimental?
2: From the moment he bought the bracelet, we began to be plagued by it. How do you mean? Well, there was a woman living there in Algiers married to a Swedish nobleman named Ansgar. She developed quite a fixation on my bracelet. I suppose I should have suspected something at the time. You see, she offered quite a large sum of money for it.
0: How large? Uh, You'll have to forgive my direct questions. It's a habit we lawyers have.
2: A thousand dollars.
0: For a fifteen dollar bracelet?
2: Yes. Tubby, my husband, wanted me to sell it. I should think so. I should have listened to him. He's not a bit money conscious. It's never made the slightest difference to him. He simply must have sensed that something was wrong. But I I was stubborn. I didn't want to give up my bracelet. (laughs) Well, what makes you laugh?
0: Do you always champion your husband like that?
2: What do you mean?
0: Nothing. Go on, please.
2: Well, anyhow, we... We returned home, and we were so happy to be here. Everything seemed so wonderful. Mr. Clark's sister even loaned us her apartment across the hall from here for a day or so.
0: Clarissa, that's very magnanimous of the old girl.
2: Oh, it was grand of her. So generous and thoughtful. Well, we... My husband and I were having a wonderful dinner. Then we planned to walk in the park. Suddenly there there was a knock on the door and Don't tell
0: me. Customs officers.
2: How did you know?
0: Must I tell you again? I'm a lawyer. What did they have to say?
2: They wanted the bracelet. I gave it to them, of course. Then they opened up a little secret compartment that I didn't even know existed. And a a whole collection of diamonds spilled out.
0: Hmm. Where is this bracelet
2: now? Well, they took it along. It, it seems that it's valued at $50,000. They said we owe $5,000 duty and $20,000 fine. Well, that's so entirely out of our realm that it's fantastic. Mm. And not only that, they said we might be subject to arrest for smuggling in stolen goods.
0: Yes, I don't wonder you're upset and nervous.
2: Major Kirby, we really didn't know anything about the value of that bracelet. My husband paid $15 for it. It was, it was just a, a lead bracelet. But to me, it was sort of a a symbol of our reunion, and... But that's quite another story. The question now is, how can we possibly convince the authorities that we had no intention of smuggling in any diamonds?
0: Well, I'll have to see what I can do. You know, there's always a way. Try not to worry too much.
2: Oh, I wish you'd say that to Tubby. He's fearfully upset.
0: Look, Mrs. Scott, suppose we go across the way and talk to your husband. I'd like to meet him, and he may be able to shed some light on the subject.
2: Oh, I wish you would. I'm sure he'd appreciate it if... You really don't mind? Of course not.
0: Let's go right away. Here, let me open the door. Thank you. You've got to stop that trembling, you know. I'm not a doctor, but I know that much.
2: Here we are. I don't think the door is locked. Tubby? Doesn't seem to be here. He must be. He wouldn't have left at a time like this. We've got to find him. Now, take it easy. Oh, Tubby! Just a minute, Joan, darling.
0: I'm glad you got back. I was just about to come and get you. It's your dad and my mother.
2: Where? You mean here? No,
0: on the telephone. Go in and say hello. They're so excited they can hardly talk.
2: Oh, wonderful. I'm glad I didn't miss them. Oh, how rude of me. Tubby, this is Major Kirby. He's a friend of Mr. Clark's. He's offered to try to help us about the bracelet. Major, you'll excuse me for a minute, won't you? Why, of course. Run right along. You don't know how anxious I am to talk to them. We put in the call as soon as we got here, but we didn't expect to hear
0: the soon Well, Major, won't you sit down? Thank you. Good you to be concerned with our personal troubles. I wouldn't say it was much of an effort. Your wife's an extraordinarily attractive person. And, of course, being a friend of TRs. I know. People are so often affected that way by my wife. Well, that can't be so hard for you to understand. In a way, it's quite a compliment, isn't it? <laughs> I hadn't thought of it quite like that. Maybe it's because I like to believe a man should have something better to offer than his wife's reflected glory. I, um, understand you're just back from Algiers. That's right. It's good to be back, isn't it? I just got back myself. That depends on what you're coming back to. For you, Major Kirby, I should think it'd be great. Why for me any more than for you? (laughs) Please don't think I'm complaining or being cynical. Just trying to be realistic. For you, Major Colin Kirby, the man who has everything. Oh, come now, come That's putting it on a bit thick. Not quite everything. (laughs) Think I don't know? Even though I have been away for two years. I remember your name. I've seen your picture in the papers. You are not exactly a non-entity, you know. Ask any mother with a marriageable daughter. She'll tell you about your wealth, your social position, and even your fame as a lawyer. Now I know you're giving me a ride. And what about you? That's just it. What about me? Dr. Truman Scott, a young man of promise. That was some years ago. Whatever became of him? He failed, Major, right along the line. What do you think of that? He likes to blame it on bad luck, on unrelenting fate. (laughs) Actually, you can talk it up to bungling. Not much of a picture, is it? Oh, I don't know. From the way you tell it, at least you sound consistent and certainly haven't lost your sense of humor. And certainly you have one thing to be very grateful for. What's that? A wife who worships the ground you walk on. Oh, that's what's got me nearly crazy with worry over this mess. You see, I expect to be in the Army in a few days, providing this can be cleared up. Yes, well, I'll do everything I can. I promise you that. I know what it means to you. You see, my position is just the reverse. Well, what do you mean? I expect to be retired from the Army. A matter of a wound I collected in the Pacific. <laughs> Two men face each other. The one so calm, so assured. The other so turbulent, so restless. We wonder how fate has designed their future destinies. Is this a chance encounter? Will they be friends? And what part will be played in a pattern by Joan Scott,
1: valiant lady? <laughs>
0: In this time of deep national anxiety, there is one thing we can all do to help our men who are fighting now on the invasion fronts. We can buy more war bonds. Money we spend for war bonds will help to give our men the assurance that we're standing back of them in every way we can. And we ourselves will have the comfort of knowing that our money will give our men the vast superiority in arms and equipment that we all want them to have. A superiority that may save their lives and help to hasten the end of the war. Until the fighting is over and the war is won, buy more war bonds. Tomorrow's story of Valiant Lady, presented by Cheerios. This is Dwight Wiest saying goodbye until then and inviting you to listen to Light of the World, which follows immediately. <laughs> you this late dispatch from CBS News headquarters in New York. President Roosevelt will go on the air at 10 o'clock tonight, Eastern Wartime, with the hope that the nation will join him in a prayer which he has written for the occasion. Columbia will bring you the President's broadcast at 10 o'clock this evening, Eastern Wartime. Before that, at 3 p.m. Eastern Wartime, we hope to bring you a broadcast by King George VI of Great Britain. This dispatch has come to you from CBS World News. We resume our scheduled programs. The Light of the World. The Story of the Bible. An eternal beacon lighting man's way through the darkness of time. Brought to you by General Mills. You know, now that the invasion is actually underway, I don't believe there's one of us who doesn't feel a deep personal obligation to every man on the invasion front. We all feel that nothing is too much for us to do to back up our men, that nothing we could do could even compare with what they're doing for us. Well, there are many things we can do, but one thing we must do right away is put every dollar we don't absolutely have to use for food and rent and doctor bills into war bonds. Yes, we must give our men our all-out financial support right away. For the greater the battle, the greater their need of our money for equipment. And right now, they're engaged in the greatest battle in our history. The greatest battle in the history of the world, actually. Yes, whatever we do, we must all dig deep into our pockets and our savings accounts and put every dollar we can possibly spare into war bonds right away. It's now or never... We all realize that. It's get behind our fighting men now with everything we've got or let them down when they need us most. And there's not one of us who could bear to do that. On this critical day in our history, our thoughts are with our valiant men who storm the fortress of Europe. And our hearts are united in a single prayer, the prayer that God will watch over the men we love, granting the victory for which they fight and the lasting peace which victory will bring. In the belief that the lessons on the pages of the Holy Bible will bring comfort and inspiration during this time of conflict and of crisis, we put aside today our story of Jezebel's daughter, Athaliah, to recall some of the immortal stories of man's faith in God and of God's mercy and goodness. We ask you to turn back with us to the book of Genesis, chapter 22, verses 1, 2, and 3. And it came to pass that God said unto Abraham, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, And get thee into the land of moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which i will tell thee of and abraham rose up early in the morning and took isaac his son and went into a place of which god had told him father may i help you it's all ready now my son
3: oh but you said you always sacrificed a lamb don't you want me to go down to the plains i'm sure i could find a lamb down there father no isaac
0: not today my son
3: i'm sorry father i shouldn't be impatient God will provide a lamb, won't he? I guess you'll scold me for not having faith.
0: No, Isaac, I'm not going to scold you today.
3: I was so pleased when you asked me to come here with you to worship, but I guess I've asked so many questions you'll never want to bring me again.
0: Isaac, my son, don't talk about the future. You've been a good boy. You've always been a comfort to me. I had hoped to see the day when you'd be married and have sons.
3: Father, you're so sad and different today. You speak as if you didn't think you'd live much longer. Please, Isaac. Oh, no, no, Father. I couldn't bear that. I don't want anything to happen to you, not ever.
0: It is not my time to go yet. I am sad today. I think God understands why and will forgive me. Now, my son, Isaac, will you pray to God?
3: What shall I say, Father?
0: Give thanks for his mercy and goodness to you and to all men. Tell him what is in your heart, my boy.
3: Dear God, I thank you for your kindness and mercy and goodness to me. And I want to thank you before all else for my father and mother. Please, God, take
0: care of them. Oh, merciful God, I hereby dedicate to you. I dedicate my only son. Father. Wait, my son, wait. Don't speak. I thank thee, O God. You have sent a ram into the wilderness for the sacrifice. It is not to be my son. Come, my son, let us kneel down here together before the altar and pray. For God is indeed merciful and good. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven, and he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son. Thine only Son, from me. The story of the Bible is the story of the conflict between the forces of good and evil. Hitler is not the first pagan tyrant who has declared himself greater than God, commanding all men to serve him as slaves. At this time of invasion, when God-fearing men march resolutely against the forces of darkness, it is comforting to remember that evil has never triumphed, that might has never made right, Three thousand years ago, another pagan tyrant believed in his vanity, that he and the people of his nation could be masters of the world. Menephta, Pharaoh of Egypt, had enslaved thousands of God-fearing men and women, and as the Bible tells us in the book of Exodus, chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, and the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage. The descendants of Jacob endured unspeakable suffering in Egypt, for a madman ruled a madman who stirred his people to insatiable lust and violence by his words of hate.
1: I have a message today for all Egyptians. Our civilization is the greatest in the history of the world. Our public works will remain as lasting memorials of my genius and of this age in which we live. There is only one plot on our grandeur. It is these miserable foreigners among us. Egypt is a land for pure-blooded Egyptians only. These foreigners work as slaves building my temples and the great wall. They are beaten without mercy, and yet they still refuse to worship our God. The gods of Egypt are the only gods in the world. It is a disgrace to every pure-blooded Egyptian that we cannot force these foreigners to worship our God. Yes! Yes! And I say to you that they must be wiped off the face of the earth. They must be killed. I command you, my loyal Egyptians, to kill them without mercy. Those are my orders. Kill! Kill!
0: the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage, and they cried. And their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land, unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. And in the land of Midian, Moses followed the sound which he alone of all men on earth could hear. Lord God of Abraham, I know you are near me tonight, guiding my footsteps. I know that this mountain shall be called Horeb. It is the mountain of God. There is fire in the midst of the bush, and yet the bush is unharmed. Now Moses came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And He looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And when the Lord saw that, Moses turned aside to see... God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, I am here, O Lord God, I am here. And the Lord said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Armed with the miracle of his faith, Moses followed the command of God and returned to Egypt to free his people from the bondage of the Egyptians. It was not an easy task, but through the ages, the story of the Exodus has been an inspiration to the enslaved people of the world. There were dark years filled with suffering and hardships ahead of them, but the people who had followed Moses into the land of Canaan were courageous. And Though many of them faltered, there was always a man whose faith was strong a man who kept the flame of faith and courage and hope burning through the darkness of the centuries until at last a great and free nation was built, a nation of God-fearing people ruled with justice and mercy by David, the shepherd king of Israel. Down through the ages, the Psalms of David had comforted and inspired all men and women in hours of trial and suffering. And today, as in other periods of the world's history, the words of the shepherd king return to us the words of unwavering courage and undying faith. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his
1: namesake. Yea,
0: though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, of us today, the words of the 23rd Psalm have a special meaning, a promise that the forces of evil will be crushed, a promise that the word freedom, which has nearly lost all meaning in these dark years of Nazi persecution, is alive and real again. Freedom lives today because soldiers of the United Nations, armed with powerful weapons and with the knowledge that their cause is just, are marching surely and inevitably to victory. And as they advance on this first day of invasion, our prayers go with them. And out of the past comes the echo of David's unwavering faith in God. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the
1: days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now with the
0: invasion so much on our minds, naturally we're all talking about it. It's the most important thing in our lives. But please, when we talk, let's remember this. Careless talk costs lives. Our enemy is clever. He hopes we aren't. He hopes we'll tell in a bus or a restaurant or to someone who'll repeat it some little piece of information he wants. He hopes we'll talk about our letters from men in the service and repeat what they said. And those of us who are in war work, Yes, he hopes we'll let out some of the things we know about our work. Well, let's fool him, please. The enemy has big ears. He hopes we have big mouths. Let's show him he's wrong. Let's think before we speak. Let's remember that careless talk costs lives. today's story of the Bible, currently the story of Jezebel's daughter Athaliah from the second book of Chronicles, will be continued tomorrow at this same time. This is Ted Campbell inviting you to be with us then. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Welcome, friends. You've come to the open door, and the makers of royal puddings and royal gelatins invite you to enter and meet Dean Hanson. Come in. Come in.
3: The door is open.
0: John Merrick, the huge taciturn owner of the Jefferson Feed and Grain Store, has come to the open door, and today he says to Dean Hansen... My mother's 55 and has her own home, and she can work at the books in my store as long as she wants. She's worked for security, and she's got it. And now she wants to throw it all away for the sake of the raggle-taggle gypsies, all. A new problem for busy Dean Hanson, a queer and unusual problem, begins today at The Open Door. Here comes Mary Woods of the Royal Kitchens with a paper bag. Something good for me, Miss Woods?
4: (laughs) Something good, period, Arnold. Oh. I'm taking home some macaroons for dinner tonight.
0: I bet you're going to snuggle them up to Royal Pudding.
4: (laughs) I'm going to put them right on Royal Pudding for a nice, crunchy taste that I know will make a hit. I hope all our listeners will try this easy dessert soon. First, make Royal Butterscotch Pudding, just as the package says, and in that astonishingly quick way. When you're ready to serve it, crush a few macaroons and sprinkle them over the top. And not stingy, but not too thick. And that's all. Royal desserts, all four kinds, are awfully good just as is. But you'll like thinking up variations like this macaroon idea for royal butterscotch pudding. One thing I want you to insist on, though, is always getting royal pudding. There just isn't any substitute for it.
0: One of the fine afternoons in Jefferson caused Corey Loman, Dean Hudson's secretary, to look longingly out of a window at the Green Quadrangle. Even the buildings cannot crowd out the lush greenness. It's as if a green and friendly jungle had invaded the prim northern sanctuary of red brick. Soon the summer's sun will parch the grass. Soon the autumn will thin the now encroaching trees. But today the new growth is victorious. No one could be indifferent to the day's invitation. Least of all, young Corey Lohman.
5: Pull yourself out of this, my girl. No sense in mooning out of the window in broad daylight. Just because these days you have nothing to do at night. No one to meet. No one to rush back for to residence hall and change. No one to hurry down for to the coffee shop and say, Darling, I'm not late, am I? At least not very late that, Corey Loman, you can go down to Hostess House and put in an extra session washing the servicemen's dishes. Maybe tonight something exciting will happen. Maybe tonight you can lose your heart again. I wonder if there'll be a moon tonight.
0: The distant whirr, whir, of the lawnmower comes through the window, together with the sweet smell of new-cut grass. Professor Greentree crosses the campus, shoulders stooped, a briefcase under one arm and several books under the other. Cory asks silently from her vantage point,
5: Isn't the day exciting to you?
0: Then Cory turns away and regards the dean's next visitor, Mr. John Merrick. Once more, she asks silently,
5: Don't you find the day exciting?
0: And Mr. Merrick, summoned back from his innermost thoughts by her gaze, clears his throat. I'm a busy man, Miss Loman. I waited for the dean at his house, and he no sooner got there than he had to rush over here. Oh. We couldn't even talk on the way because some professor drove us over. Will he be much longer, you think?
5: Um, I don't think so, Mr. Merrick. He's just signing some letters and some papers. Are you worrying about the feed store, Mr. Merrick?
0: Well, not exactly.
5: Oh. Isn't this a wonderful day? Don't you love the smell of new mown hay?
0: Mm, I'm used to those sorts of smells. Oh, yes, of course.
5: But isn't it different when the sun is on it?
2: When it's green? Miss Loman, it only makes me remember all the people who won't buy
0: feed all summer because they got their own hay. Oh.
5: Well, doesn't it ever make you think of when you were younger and... When I was
0: younger, I was mowing that grass and trying to memorize my homework while I did it.
5: Didn't you ever have any fun, Mr. Merrick?
0: Couldn't afford it.
5: But there are so many pleasant things that you can't buy. So many things to do. They all take time, and
0: time's money.
5: Don't you ever regret some of the things you've missed? Why should I? I never missed them.
0: Got everything I want. Ah, so
5: steady. Is your wife happy, Mr. Merrick?
0: Well, of course she is. Why well, shouldn't she be? She's got a washing machine, a vacuum cleaner, and an electric egg beater. Oh, don't laugh, Miss Loman.
5: No, no, I wasn't. I, I do know what those things mean.
0: No, don't guess you can, unless you've seen a woman do all the things she has to do without them. Remember my mother staying up half the night to finish her housework and her bacon after her day's work? <laughs> don't guess someone like you, Miss Loman, has any idea all the time these things save.
5: But what's the use of time if...
0: Corey's stopped short hopelessly. What she'd wanted to say was something expressive of the summer's day, of Dean Hansen and his grandson singing at the piano, of a memory of horseback riding with her lost lover, of all the moments which are useless and dear and happy. John Merrick looks at her politely, blankly, and then the Dean comes out of his office, nods to Mr. Merrick, and the tall sunburned man follows him back, and closes the door with finality, as if he'd like to shut out forever all such whimsical notions. Careful on my door, Mr. Merrick. It's not used to your strength. Oh, excuse me, Dan Hanson. I'm sorry I couldn't talk to you at your house. Yes, that was too bad. I know you are a busy man. It's a nice place you got here. I've thought so for many years. Hey, you could have room for some chickens there. I could fix you up. You could put a shed where you had that old summer house. Hey, you've got your grandson staying with you, too, haven't you? Yes, my daughter's son, Tommy Arnold. Well, he could look after him. Good for a boy to have chores, or a girl, too. Might save you quite a bit of money. Might work up quite a little business on the side. Neighbors and students and all that. (laughs) It's very kind of you to have figured it all out, Mr. Merrick. Did you come up to the university from town to tell me this? No, Dean Hanson. What is troubling you, Mr. Merrick? business all right? Yeah, I can sell what I get. Trouble is, I can't get enough. It's not that. Your wife? No, Marge doesn't complain. Dean Hansen, you've helped so many people. Please help our family. It's my mother. Mrs. Merrick? I don't know what's got into her. Started in the spring. She's different. She got a permanent. She took a first aid course. She started going to music concerts. Yes? Go on. Dean Hansen, my mother and me always agreed on everything. We worked and planned together. I owe all my success to her, all my ambition, all my power to work. Why, well, one of my earliest memories of her is her ironing the border's linen while I studied my lessons. When I fell asleep, she'd wake me up. And if I saw her nodding, I'd wake her up. Yeah, she was strict, all right, and she was right. She'd take a stick to me if I didn't get up in the morning on time. Once I wanted to get in the band in high school, but she wouldn't let me. Said we had no time for such foolishness with my sister growing up and going to school here. That's Rennie, isn't it? Yeah, she she was graduated the same year as my daughter Lisa. I didn't mind Rennie going to college. Mother always said a girl needed more education than a man to make the same sort of living. Mother was ambitious. Then. But now... Now? Finally, now she wants to get married. But, uh, Mr. Mary, you'll pardon me if I say I find it a little strange that you should object to your mother marrying again. After all, she's a mature woman and should know her own mind. Yeah, but she's 55 and has her own home. She can work at the books in our store as long as she wants. She's worked for security and she's got it, and now she wants to throw it all away for the sake of the... Raggle, taggle, gypsies, oh. The raggle, taggle, gypsies, oh? That's a song he sings.
5: But the dean is busy. You can't go in. Excuse me, Dean Hanson. Rennie.
0: How are you, Rennie?
5: Dean Hanson,
2: John's been telling you about mother.
0: Yes, my dear. And who told you where to find me, Marge? Rennie, go home like a good girl, and I won't say anything about this.
2: Dean Hanson's going to hear our side, too.
0: Go home, Rennie.
2: Dean Hanson, this is my life, too, that John's trying to spoil. It's my happiness. Mine and mother's.
0: Rennie doesn't remember all we have been through, Dean Hanson. And now he wants to marry her for the money we saved. Uh,
2: it isn't money, Dean Hanson, really.
0: Mr. Merrick, whom does your mother want to marry? The man she divorced.
2: John, how can you speak of him like that? He's your father. He's your father and mine.
0: Well, I can tell you all just this. If mother marries him, I'll sell the feed store. I'll sell it at a loss rather than let him have the money. I'll never set eyes on either of you again. Old childhood enmities, old hurts, stir themselves in the dean's little office. Here is one of the most unusual problems ever to walk through the open door. The dean looks at the large sunburned man, then at his sister. They're turned away from each other the dean looked sadly out of the window toward the fine summer day. You know, that's true what Mary Wood said about keeping royal puddings on hand. An assortment of flavors... There's delicate royal vanilla pudding, rich royal chocolate, golden royal butterscotch, and the tapioca member, royal vanilla tapioca pudding. All so easy, all so good.
4: And while we're stocking the pantry shelf, Arnold, let's not forget royal gelatin desserts with their wonderful fruity flavors. They're different from all the others, and their flavor seals. That's
0: right. Royal puddings and royal gelatin desserts. That's the way to have better meals without fuss. Between us once before. She put you and me on one side and him on the other and chose. Now she'll have to do that again. John Merrick reminds his young sister how their mother once chose them and left his father. He's secure in his mind that she can be made to make the same decision a second time. Be sure to listen tomorrow to The Open Door. for the open door, Arnold Moss. At this season of the year, as the sun settles down to really serious business, we all have the same problem, how to cool off. Millions do it the gracious way with iced tenderleaf brand tea in a tall, tall frosty glass. Frosty outside, delicious within. It's cooling delight, refreshing, relaxing, satisfying. But take the precaution to get Tenderleaf brand tea, because in iced tea season, flavor is what counts. It's more important than ever. The finer and richer your tea is to start with, the better your iced tea will be. So it stands to reason that a flavor favorite that makes superb hot tea will give you just what it takes to offset the melting ice. Yes, with a big margin of goodness to spare, Get a supply of Tenderleaf brand tea so there's no chance of running out. Have plenty of tea and plenty of flavor. Enjoy it often, with meals in between. Ask your grocer for delicious Tenderleaf brand tea. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Wonder Bread, the bread that's doubly fresh. Fresh when you buy it and fresh when you eat it. Presents Bachelor's Children. Bachelor's Children, radio's most beloved cereal, is brought to you by the bakers of Wonder Bread and Hostess Cakes, and is dedicated to the grocers of America. Some children don't seem to get ahead very fast. Sometimes they're tired for no other reason than that they don't get enough energy food. After all, a child burns up a lot of energy in school and out. If they could only get it like a car by stepping on the gas, there'd be no problem. But even at that, your child's body is like a motor. Only the energy comes from food instead of gasoline. And instead of a spark plug, the body uses vitamin B1 to help transform food into energy. So if your child needs more energy, maybe all he needs is to eat extra food with extra vitamin B1. And that's just where energy-charged Wonder Bread comes in handy to give that extra energy. Because not only is Wonder Bread charged with energy, but it contains extra vitamin B1. Yes, Wonder Bread contains more than enough vitamin B1 to help properly transform it into energy. In fact, Wonder Bread is the only bread with the famous $1,000 vitamin B1 guarantee. And on top of that, Wonder Bread is doubly fresh. Fresh when you buy it and fresh when you eat it. Because slow-baked. That is, baked 13% longer than many ordinary kinds for lasting freshness. It tastes swell. Get Energy Charged Wonder Bread today and serve extra slices for extra energy. Your family will love it. And now, Bachelor's Children, written by Bess Flynn. Clem Harvey was indignant and plainly disappointed when he left the Graham house a few moments ago. And as Dr. Graham watched him go down the street with the two boys trudging along beside him, he suddenly found himself feeling sorry for the man. Yes, sorry for him. And with a new respect for the kindness of heart that had prompted Clem to take over the responsibility for two children he had never seen until recently. And as he went back into the dining room to finish his neglected breakfast, Ruth Ann said...
2: You know, Bob... I felt awfully sorry for Clem when he went out of here just now. Yes,
0: so did I. Yet he had no reason to be angry with Michael for renting the place after he just walked off the way he did without letting anyone know where he was going and when he was coming back.
4: Wait, I'll pour you a hot cup of coffee. Okay.
0: Mm,
4: Your eggs are cold, too, aren't they? (laughs) I'd better cook you some more. No,
0: no, thanks, Ruthanne. I won't have time. I'll just drink a cup of coffee, and then I'll get over to the hospital. Where'd Janet go?
2: Oh, the children woke up, and she's dressing Mm them.
0: You know, Clem's just wasting his time going over there to see Michael about getting that place back.
2: You don't think Michael would be willing to let him have it? Well, he can't.
0: He's already leased the place to the Browns. He couldn't go back on that even if he'd want to.
2: No, I suppose not. Well, what do you suppose Clem will do in that case?
0: Well, there's nothing he can do. he to find some other place to live. Clem's sort of a jack of all trades. He worked around here for me for a number of years off and on. Between these trips he used to take.
4: Well, has he got money?
0: Only what he makes. Of course, he doesn't spend much, I guess. In fact, I think he told me some time ago that he'd saved up some money.
4: Dr. Hall?
2: Well,
4: yes,
0: Ella?
2: Do you know I could have sworn that I saw Clem Harvey going down the street a little bit ago? And where have you been? Oh, I went across the street to borrow some soap from Mary. I had to wash a blanket, and I didn't want to wait until the stores were open. And when I came out of the house over there, I saw this man going down the street, and his walk was just exactly like Clem. Oh, well, I imagine it was Clem. Oh, Clem's gone up. Huh?
0: He's gone away, and he's come back home again. What? As he was here a little while ago.
2: You don't tell me. Mm-hmm. But this man had two boys with him. So did Clem. Hmm? Mm-hmm. Where'd he get them? Whose children are they?
0: His, so he tells us.
2: His? His children? Yep. Oh, my stars. Good grief, why, he isn't even married. I'll be home for lunch at the usual time. Now, Dr. Bob, wait a minute. I want to know what this is about Clem. I have
0: time. You'll have to get Ruth Ann to tell you. I'm late
2: now. Bye. Bye. Oh, my stars. I never heard. Oh, goodbye, Dr. Bob. Now, Ruth Ann, what is all this about Clem and those boys? When did he get here and where'd you come from? Well, we were just having breakfast when he came to the door with these two boys. He told Bob they're the children of a man he knew who's in the army. So he brought the boys back with him. Well, I never heard of such a thing. Haven't they got a mother? Yes, but she's very sick and unable to take care of them. Well, good grief. What's he going to do with them? Well, that's just what we've been wondering. Of course, he counted on taking them to that little place of Michael's out in the country. Oh, but he can't do that. The place is rented. The Browns have already moved in. Yes, I know, Ellen. That's what Bob told him. He was terribly upset about it. Oh, I don't see why he should be. My stars, he just walked away from that place without saying bye or leave or where he was going or when he was coming back or anything. Where's he going to now? Over to see Michael, to see if he won't let him have the place back. Oh, I hope not. After I recommended the place to the Browns and they went to all the trouble and expense of moving out there, why, well, they'd just never forgive me if anything like that came up. Well, now, don't worry about it. It won't. How old are the boys? Clem says they're almost 12 and 14. Well, I thought uh, that isn't the craziest thing I ever heard of, him taking two children. Well, I suppose it wasn't a wise thing for him to do, but I think it shows he has a very good heart. Yes, but that's the straight of it, which I doubt. Why? Why do you doubt it, Ellen? Because it sounds to me like it might be just another one of Clem's stories. You know how he always was. Telling the biggest whoppers about himself and the things he did. No, I didn't know that. But I'm sure he told the truth about this. Because when Janet and I were giving the boys something to eat, they told us practically the same thing. Hmm. What sort of children are they? Oh, they're nice boys. They weren't here long. Well, I give up trying to figure out what that man will do next. Have you all had your breakfast? Yes, we're all finished. All right, I might as well clear up the table now. I guess. Are the children still asleep?
4: No, Janet's upstairs getting them
2: dressed. You go ahead if you're going to wash a blanket. I'll do up these dishes. Well, oh, you don't need to. I might as well let them go now until we fed the children. Well, I'll clear the table. I'll carry some of them out. My stars! I don't know what I'm going to do about that boy. Who? What boy? Doctor Bob. Why, he didn't so much as touch those eggs I cooked for him. That was because Clem came in just when we started breakfast and Bob stopped to talk to him. Then after Clem had gone, Bob didn't have time to wait while I cooked him some more. Oh, I thought he just left them. He hasn't been eating right lately. It bothers me. Ruthann. What is it, Ellen? I I don't suppose I've got any right to say this. And I know if Dr. Bob would hear about it, he'd say I should mind my own business. Say what? I'd just like to know how long this business is going to go on. Well, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm talking about the way you and Dr. Bob are living. Oh. It just isn't natural or right for married people to be living like they was acquaintances instead of man and wife. But, Ellen, you don't understand. Oh, I understand a lot more than you think I do. And I'll tell you this much, whether you like it or not. I should think instead of being so standoffish like you are, even though it's because you've lost your memory that you'd be proud and happy to be the wife of a man like Dr. Bob. Well, I am, but I... He's a man any woman would be proud to call her husband. And I can tell you there's lots of women who'd like to have him. Oh, I don't doubt that in the least. I... I suppose he had lots of girls before he married me, didn't he, Ellen? Oh, the women were all after him. Why wouldn't they be? Fine, handsome man like him with a nice home and good practice. I suppose before I lost my memory, I... I knew all about the girls he used
4: to have. He must have told me about them. But now I can't remember any of that. Did he have many serious love affairs with girls?
2: Oh, two or three. I don't think any of them got to the point where he got engaged, but there were a couple of times when the old doctor and I, I used to call his father the old doctor, Uh when we thought he was really serious. But he ended up in breaking it off and... Then when I thought he was settling down to be a bachelor all his life, didn't you come along and up and married you? What were the names of some of the girls he went with? Oh my stars! I don't know as I can remember all of them. There was one. I'm certainly glad he didn't marry that one. Why? Oh, I don't know just what it was, but neither one of us, neither his father nor me, liked that girl. She was just kind of flip. Didn't seem like the sort who would make a good doctor's wife. And you don't remember what her name was? No. It might come to me later, but... Oh, well, you know me. I just can't seem to remember names. Ellen, was it Joan Gray? Joan Gray? Joan Gray. I don't remember that name. Why? What made you ask that? Oh, I happened to hear Sam say something about a girl Bob used to go with, and he said her name was Joan Gray. Well, it might have been, but it doesn't... But now, come to think of it, that name does sound sort of familiar to me. I wondered if she could have been the one. What one? Oh, there was one girl. That that was a good many years ago. Hmm. Now, you know, that had just completely slipped my mind until now. What had, Ellen? About that girl. My, he certainly was crazy about her. Was it Joan Gray? Was she the one? I sort of got the idea it was. Yes? Yes, I'm pretty sure that's the name. Well, if he was so crazy about her, why didn't he marry her? I don't just rightly know What was she like? Oh, as I remember, she was a beautiful girl. Tall, queenly looking. They'd have made a handsome couple, the two of them. Isn't it funny the way men do? You're just the opposite of her. Well, like they say, caught on the rebound. (coughs) Oh, good grief. Why, Boussane, you're crying, child. No, I'm not.
1: I'm not crying at all. What have I got?
0: Saying this, Ruth Ann puts down the dishes she has in her hands and hastily leaves the room. Ellen stands for a minute, looking after her in a guilty sort of fashion, Starts to call to Ruth Ann, but then changes her mind and goes on out to the kitchen. If you don't care how long bread stays fresh, you have no problem. But if you do... Listen to this letter from Mrs. P.M. Bacon, 1511 Maiden Lane, Springfield, Ohio.
2: I pack a lunch for my husband and daughter. Several times they remarked that the bread in their sandwiches was very dry, although it was carefully wrapped in wax paper. One day I bought a loaf of Wonder Bread. I was very pleased to hear them both say, what kind of bread did you put in my lunch today? It certainly tasted different, so nice and fresh. From now on, I'm buying Wonder Bread.
0: The bread you want is one that's fresh and stays fresh. That's energy-charged Wonder Bread, the doubly fresh bread, fresh when you buy it and fresh when you eat it. For energy-charged Wonder Bread is slow baked, baked 13% longer than many ordinary kinds for lasting freshness. Remember, energy-charged Wonder Bread can help you step up your energy. So eat extra Wonder Bread every day for extra energy. Remember, too, please... Energy-Charged Wonder Bread is the only bread sold under the famous $1,000 vitamin B1 guarantee. Yes, every loaf of Energy-Charged Wonder Bread contains more than enough vitamin B1 to help properly transform it into energy. So get Energy-Charged Wonder Bread doubly fresh from your grocer today. You'll be glad you did. Ellen has a most uncomfortable day and this evening she decides to have a talk with Janet. Please try to hear Bachelor's Children tomorrow when this conversation takes place. Meanwhile, in the interests of your family's appetite and health, get new Wonder Bread made with vitamin B1, the bread that's doubly fresh, fresh when you buy it and fresh when you eat it. If you take one quart out of a gallon, you have three quarts left. That's the story about black market gasoline. With only so much gasoline, ration coupons are issued in order to divide it fair and square. Stolen or counterfeit coupons for the black market trade take gasoline out of circulation. In fact, if there were no black market, A coupons would be good for about 25% more gasoline. Thus, you can see the wisdom of playing square with gasoline rationing. So make sure you turn coupons in for the gas you get. And be sure to write your license number and state on the face of all your coupons. This program has come to you from our Chicago studios in the Wrigley building. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.